Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our Hope for the World weekend. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us and fill out a short digital connection card. Enjoy the sermon. Amen, huh? There is nothing like the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine what it must have been like for your senior pastor to have been the Apostle Paul? I mean, that would be a story to tell, right? I mean, when you think about Paul, you you think about the aspects of his life. Like, for example, even his testimony. All the rest of us measure our testimony based on Paul's testimony, like, well, I don't have a Damascus Road experience, but like he literally did. He had this supernatural moment when he came to know Christ. When you think about the writings of the Apostle Paul, like two-thirds of the books of the New Testament are his writings, his books that the Holy Spirit of God used him to write. When you think about his influence, there are currently roughly two billion professing Christians on planet Earth. Most of them would be what we would call of the Gentiles. Paul was known as the missionary to the Gentiles, which means next to Jesus Christ himself, Paul is arguably the most influential figure in the New Testament. Paul, when he first began his missionary travels, he was launched out of a church where he'd been discipled and raised up called the church at Antioch. And the church at Antioch sends Paul out with Barnabas and others on their very first missionary journey. And on this first missionary journey, as they're going out to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, Paul gets this vision from the Lord that we have now identified as what's called the Macedonian call. It was this this vision that Paul had, this voice of God speaking into his life to come to the continent of Europe. There's something that would help all of us understand missiological expansion. The gospel started in the Middle East and North Africa, and it was through the missionary sending heart of the church that the gospel went from North Africa, the Middle East, then to Europe. Paul is receiving this Macedonian call. He goes to Europe. He finds himself in a city called Philippi. The Holy Spirit directs him there to plant a church, and he begins there just like he did everywhere else. He began to engage the city with the gospel. He starts down at the riverbank where the riverbank would have been the lifeblood of the city. A lot of the activity of the city happened where the water was. So Paul went to the heartbeat of the city and began to tell people about Jesus. And he meets this very influential, very wealthy businesswoman named Lydia. We know of her influence and her wealth because of what she did. She was a seller, the Bible says, of fine linen and purple, which were two of the rarest, most expensive products of the day in the textile industry. And Paul begins to share the gospel with Lydia. And Lydia's heart is just opened by the Holy Spirit to the gospel. She receives Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Then she invites Paul back to her home. And in her home, Paul begins to tell all of her family and friends and the community that lived around her about Jesus. And the whole family comes to know Christ. Like that video we just saw. Then Paul begins to teach them how to live on mission. They go out into the city. And he begins to take them and begins to share the gospel more in the city of Philippi and and, and teach them what it meant to be disciples that are now making disciples. 
while they're out there sharing the gospel in the city streets, this young girl who was from the poverty section of town, who was possessed of a demon and who was being monetized by wicked men in the town to make money off of her, begins to follow Paul and these early disciples, and she begins to persecute them and ridicule them and mock them. And Paul gets spiritually stirred to the point that he turns to the young girl, casts out the demon. She embraces the gospel. She becomes a part of the band that's now walking through the city telling people about Christ. But not everybody was excited about that. The people had been making money off her were upset, so upset that they sent the magistrate. They arrested Paul and Silas and threw them in prison. Now Paul and Silas are in jail. It's midnight, and they're doing just what you and I would have done. They're singing hymns to God in the middle of the night, right? No, I'd have been like, hey, I need my phone call. (laughs) They're worshiping God in the jail, and the Holy Spirit of God shakes the foundations of the jail, and the doors swing open. You do know we serve a supernatural God, amen? Like that's not just the God of the Bible. That's the God of today. He swings the doors open. The jailer runs in about to kill himself because he thinks everybody's escaped and I'm going to be on the hook, so he's going to end his own life. Paul and Silas say, whoa, 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 don't do that. We're all still here. And somehow the conversations leads them to, to asking Paul the question. The jailer says, what do I need to do to get in on this Jesus that you're talking about? And the jailer hears the good news of Jesus He goes home, gets his family, brings them back. The whole family receives Jesus in the middle of the night. They baptize him right there somewhere in the jail where they had water. So you got this up-and-out business lady, this influential person, this down-and-out girl from the streets, and this middle-class family, boom, brand-new church in Philippi. Paul pastored this church. Paul led this church. We don't know for how long, but for a season. And after a season of ministry and raising up leadership, Paul felt the call of God to move on from the church at Philippi, to be sent out of that church to plant other churches. (laughs) Can you imagine having to be the pastor who followed the apostle Paul? Imagine how many emails he got. Well, the Apostle Paul used to. Here's how bad it is. We don't even know the guy's name. Like the Bible doesn't even tell us. History doesn't record for us. Who followed Paul as the pastor of the church at Philippi? Some speculate that it was probably Luke who was a member of the planting team that Paul left Luke behind and he became the pastor. But to be totally transparent, we literally have no idea who the next pastor was. But here's what we do know. That the kingdom impact of this church after Paul left was so significant. There's a whole book in the Bible written just about this church. As a matter of fact, The book of the Bible that tells us about it is what we call in our Bibles the book of Philippians. But here's what it really is. It's a thank you letter. The letter to the Philippian church is Paul writing a letter 10 years after he left. 10 years after he'd been sent out. And he's writing this letter because the kingdom impact of this church is so significant a decade after Paul's ministry that Paul writes to them just to say thank you. And this weekend what I want to do 
is I want to examine this church at Philippi, and I want to see what it was about them that allowed them to experience such phenomenal kingdom impact through their second and third generations of pastoral leadership. And here's what excites me about what I want to share with you today. I've been spending some time in this text of Scripture, reading it, studying it. And what I understand to be true about this church at Philippi, I also know to be true about this church called Hope Church in Las Vegas. And here's why that excites me. It excites me because here's what that means. The greatest days of kingdom impact for this fellowship are not in our rearview mirror. The greatest days of kingdom impact for this fellowship is through the windshield. As we continue to join in the kingdom activity of God, the greatest days of our church is in front of us, not behind us. And I got biblical proof to show you that's true. So let's look at it. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 3. The first two verses, Paul just says, hey, it's me, Paul. <laughs> let's jump in verse 3. I thank my God. You hear it? Like, like Paul is bursting at the seams. It's been 10 years since he was their pastor, and they're still just in a kingdom way knocking it out of the park. And he says, I thank my God. And all my remembrance, every time I think about you, I just thank God. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And here's the phrase. I'm going to preach everything I'm going to say today is coming out of this next phrase. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Three things I want to point out that we see in this church that I also see in this church. Here's the first one. This church understood the big picture. You see it in two phrases. They're both here. It's this first phrase, the partnership in the gospel. Say that out loud with me. Partnership in the gospel. Those two words are very important, partnership and gospel make up the, 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 the bulk of that phrase. The word partnership is a word in the Greek language. It's the word koinonia. We often translate it with the word fellowship, but it means something more than coffee pots and casseroles. This word means to, to partner with, to, to share in, to join into something. The church at Philippi understood they were just one small piece of a really big puzzle second words the word gospel you know what the gospel is the gospel is the good news what's the good news the good news is that you can be saved from your sin the whole story of the bible is that god made us to love us and to be known and loved by him and that we know and love him meaning this the real reason human beings exist 
is to have a personal relationship with God. That thing you're searching for, that thing you're trying to fill with money and, and, and alcohol and relationships and prosperity and career, that thing you're trying to fill on the inside that's empty, listen, here's what I'm telling you. Here's what it is. God made you to know him and to love him and to live in fellowship with him. And until you know God, you'll never find peace, contentment, and satisfaction. But here's the tragedy. Our sin separates us from God. Because I've sinned against God, I can't know him. Because I've sinned against God, I can't have fellowship with him. But here's the beautiful story of the Bible. The redemptive arc of Scripture is that God so loved us that he didn't leave us to ourselves. He did for us what we couldn't do on our own. He sent his son, God, Jesus, stepped into the world, took on human flesh. And on the cross, Jesus, guess what he did? He took all of your sin and all of my sin. And on the cross, Jesus died. He paid the penalty as our substitute. He paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And on the cross, get this, Jesus died for our sin. But it wouldn't be good news if he didn't do what happened next, right? Here's the good news. He didn't stay dead. Like he died. He paid for our sin. He did it. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin so that now anyone in any corner of the globe can put their faith and trust in Jesus and be forgiven of their sin, be reconciled to God, and have their home in heaven eternally secured. Here's what this church understood. They understood that God birthed their church to take that message to every man, woman, boy, and girl on planet Earth. You see, they understood that God did not just birth the church at Philippi so they could be a cool place to worship on the weekend, get their pick-me-up. God did not simply birth this church to be an organization for political leverage that would overthrow the Roman Empire and restore national promise to the nation of Israel. God did not simply birth their church to be a humanitarian organization that would solve all the social ills of society. No, God birthed this church because the world is lost and we have been entrusted with the only message that can change the world and that is the message of the gospel. The world, America, the nations needs to hear the good news of Jesus. Listen to me, we have a greater message than the message of your political ideology, and I don't care which side of the aisle you sit on. We got a better message than that. We got a better message than that of social revolution. We have the only message that can turn the world upside down. We have the only message that can usher in the coming kingdom of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have the only message that can reconcile families, that can save people from their sin, that can secure our eternity in heaven. And it's the message of the gospel. And this church understood when God birthed their church, they were just one small piece of a really big puzzle taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's a second phrase, from the first day until now. From the first day until now. That, that phrase, first day, means the beginning. Here's what that means. Paul was there, planted this church, pastored this church, birthed this church. and Man, he got it going. They had leaders in place. They had ministries in place. They had prayer meetings. They had worship. They had evangelism. But here's what they understood. The church being born and established is not the finish line. It's the starting line. 
You see, the danger of a church like us here at Hope is 21 years in, we look around us, man, we got buildings, we got budgets, we got staff team, we got ministry programs, and we can almost have one of these attitudes. We made it. You know what the first 21 years has been? It's just the starting line. Listen, listen, listen. We just broke out of the blocks. We hadn't even finished the first quarter mile. We just came out of the blocks. This church at Philippi understood that they'd only just begun, that God had birthed them for something so much bigger. What had they been birthed for? They'd been birthed for the expansion of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, for sake of time, let me give you a definition. The kingdom of God is, let's read it out loud together. As a matter of fact, you ready? I'm going to let let you catch your breath. The first service didn't didn't get with me until about right here. So, all right, you ready? Now, now you've had more time to sleep, more cups of coffee. I expect you in on the first word. You ready? Here we go. One, two, three. God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. That is the kingdom of God. It is the big picture of what God is doing in the world. God is on a mission in this world, redeeming a people to himself from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And when God birthed our church, he birthed our church to get in on that. The church at Philippi understood that. This statement tells us that God is alive and at work all over the world. We just saw one little video from Lipok in Southeast Asia that we've been partnered with now for over five years. We saw one video of one little thing God's doing in one village, and we're like, glory to God. Listen, if we could see the big puzzle, we wouldn't have to tell you to stand up and sing. You'd stand up and shout. You'd run around the building. God is at work in the world. This church understood that. Pastor Edward, a couple of weeks ago, gave us a great prescription for how we bring application into our lives of our getting involved in what God's doing. He he talked about kingdom application like this. The kingdom is God's will done God's way in God's timing for God's glory. But here's why that matters. When in my life today, I seek God's will in God's way and in God's timing for his glory, that simple step of obedience is me taking one piece of the puzzle and laying it down to this masterpiece that God is building all over. Your obedience today matters. Why? Because it's a part of something so much bigger than you. My wife's sitting right over here. Please don't say amen to this, sweetheart. We think differently about a lot of stuff. Don't say it. I know you want to. Don't say it. I know she wants to shout amen. We think differently about a lot of stuff. I'm sure you do too if you're married in this room. You, you and your spouse think very differently about a lot of things, and you're very aware of those things. If you know that, say amen. amen. If you don't say that, welcome back from your honeymoon. Because <laughs> you're about to find out. <laughs> One of the things we do very differently is the way we read books. I read them normally. She reads them wrongly. I say, what do you mean by that? I start the way God intended. In chapter one, page one, first sentence. That's the way you're supposed to read a book. My wife starts with the last chapter. Stop that. She does not need any encouragement. Don't do that. 
She starts with the last chapter to determine if the rest of the book is worth being read. <laughs> Ruins the entire storyline of the book. It's wrong, except when it comes to this book. Because let me tell you something. I don't read the end of this book. And guess what? It's glorious. We talk about Jesus. We talk about him coming. We talk about this eternal kingdom as if it's an aspirational thing that we hope is going to happen. But here's what I'm telling you. I've read the end of the book. It's not hopefully going to happen. It's going to happen. As a matter of fact, it already has happened in eternity. You say, what do you mean? God exists outside the parameters of time. He's sovereign. This is going to make you have to take some aspirin, but, but just hear me for a second. God exists outside the parameters of time. Here's what that means. He sees time like a film strip. You and I see time like a movie on the screen. We're living it out scene by scene, moment by moment. We don't know what's happening around the next corner, but God looks at it like a film strip. He sees the first film strip, the first part, the first frame, all the way to the last frame. He already sees it. And here's what happened. In, eternity, in, in, the, in past history, God, Jesus, invited John, the disciple, to look at the film strip. He said, John, I'm going to show you a scene at the end of the film strip. And I want you to write it down, what you see, so you can give everybody a little foretaste of what is to come. Now, listen to what he wrote down. Listen to what he said. He said, and then they sang a new song. I can't wait to hear that song. Amen. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every what? Tribe and language. And listen, that is not an aspirational reality. That is an experiential reality that is going to happen, has already happened in eternity past, and everything we're joining in today climaxes in that glorious ending because look what it says, and you have made them to be a what? Here's what that means. The church at Philippi understood they were not the goal. The goal was the kingdom being expanded to the ends of the earth. The church at Philippi understood they existed to teach people about King Jesus, introduce them to him, disciple them in kingdom living, and then send them out for the expansion of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. The church at Philippi was never the goal. The kingdom being expanded was the goal. Here's why that's true. Let me prove it to you. The church at Philippi is gone. As a matter of fact, every church Paul wrote to in the New Testament is gone. I've stood personally in the remains of the church at Corinth and the church at Ephesus. You know what it is today? It's a pile of rocks. They're gone. But get this, the kingdom of God is alive and well. So to the degree to which we leverage our churches to the engagement of the expansion of God's kingdom, now we're investing in that which is eternal. And here's what I love about this. This reality is not just true about this church in Philippi. It's true about this church, Hope Church. From the day God birthed our church, we understood we were just a little piece of a really big puzzle. But here's what I want you to understand. We are living right now in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus today on a daily basis around the world than at any other single time in human history. 
Listen, y'all only halfway got that. This little golf clap. No, 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 no. You got to listen. Listen to what I said. If, if you'd listen to what I said, you'd have done more than that. I'm going to say it again. We are living in the greatest days in the history of Christianity to be alive. There are, listen, listen, there are more people coming to faith in Jesus today on a daily basis around the world than at any other single moment in the history of the world. And don't miss this. Listen, listen. God in his sovereignty has chosen to birth our church for such a time as this. Not just so we can sit and have a cool place to worship on Sunday. Not so we can get involved in political struggle. God has birthed our church to join in the glorious eternal redemption of the redemptive mission of God, which is the expansion of his kingdom to every tribe, tongue, people, nation. And listen, because of that, I believe the greatest days are in front of us. God birthed our church to join in his activity. Let me give you one example of what I'm talking about. I spoke within the last couple of years to a missionary strategist working in the country of China. There's a lot about China in the news right now, but they're not going to tell you what I'm about to tell you. You know what this missionary strategist said? Currently in China... 40 to 45,000 people per day are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That's 280,000 a week. That's over 1.2 million per month. That's over 14 and a half million people per year. That's the equivalent to the states of Nevada, Utah, Arizona, and Colorado, all coming to faith in Christ in totality in the next 12 months. And here's why I want you to hear that. That's not just them. We got partners on the field there in China we work with. That's not just them. That's us. We're not just members of a church. We're citizens of a kingdom that is alive and well. Tell you the second reason why I think God continued to bless this church in generations after their initial planting, founding pastor is because this church joined in God's activity through relationships with others. The church at Philippi understood a powerful kingdom principle, and here it is the kingdom of God runs on the rails of relationships. God doesn't drop lightning bolts in. He could if he wanted to. goes with the category of being God. But he chooses to work through relationships. And let me tell you three aspects of their relationship to Paul here in Philippi. Number one, their relationship was personal. It was personal. What do you mean by that? This was not the church at Philippi saying, God bless our food and God bless all the missionaries in Jesus' name. Amen. No, they were invested in this relationship. They were intimately involved in Paul's life. They held the ropes for Paul. You know how I know? Because of the way he opened the letter. I'm going to read you Eugene Peterson's paraphrase from the message. But listen to the way Paul opens the letter. Every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. Each exclamation 
is a trigger to prayer. And I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. You know what that speaks to? Man, these people were in it with Paul. They were holding. Listen, when Paul was shipwrecked, when Paul was in prison, when Paul was persecuted, these people had the ropes on the other end. They were personally invested in the life and work of the apostle Paul. And not only were there, was their relationship personal, secondly, their relationship with Paul was all in. We know something about that here in Vegas, being all in. Push it all across the table. It's this word partnership. It means to be joined to the life of another. It means to do life together. They pushed everything they had across the table. They held it loosely and said, Paul, whatever you need, you look to us, we got you. We got you. Some of the things they did, they, they prayed fervently. You hear that in this letter? These people prayed for needs. They prayed specifically. They joined in God's activity. A few moments ago, Pastor Edward led us so passionately to pray through that booklet for the nations. Did it dawn on you while you were praying that God could be moving in response to that on the other side of the world right now? Like, we have no idea how we just unleashed the supernatural activity of God in places all over the world. God in his sovereignty has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. Does he need us? No, but he's chosen to work like that. And the church at Philippi, they prayed fervently. See what else they did? They, they gave generously. As a matter of fact, this letter to the Philippian church, Paul towards the end thanks them for their offering. Like they'd sent this generous, radical, sacrificial offering. And the way Paul writes it, they didn't just send it once, over and over and over again. They'd supplied Paul's needs through their generosity. They didn't just pray and give. They sent strategically. What do you mean by that? They, they believed they were to disciple people in kingdom living and then send them out. It's an example of that that's mentioned by name in, in the book of Philippians. It's the name Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is not one of the heroes of the New Testament that most people know is in the Bible, right? I mean, you even hear his name and think, don't, don't you take medicine to get rid of that when you got a case of Epaphroditus? I had that, but I think I had that, but I'm good now. Now, you're going to bump into him in heaven. He's going to say, do you like what they wrote about me in the Bible? And you better know who he is. Otherwise, that's going to be an embarrassing moment for you. So let me help you. Epaphroditus was a regular dude in Philippi that somebody, after Paul left, led to Jesus. They discipled him in that culture that Paul had established of thinking kingdom first. And Epaphroditus wrapped his heart around that. And one day they needed to send an offering to Paul. And they didn't have Venmo. <laughs> they didn't have PayPal. Somebody had to take the offering, which didn't mean they could get on an airplane, go there today, come back tomorrow. It meant somebody was about to walk for weeks and weeks and weeks and get on a ship or a boat and go for months and months to take this offering to the apostle Paul so that we could meet the needs of the ministry where he was. The church at Philippi said, anybody willing to go? Epaphroditus said, well, I mean, I'm no missionary. I've, I've never preached a sermon. I haven't been to seminary, but I can carry a bag of money with the best of them. I, I'll go. You can read it later on. Philippians chapter 2 talks about him being sent out from that church. And in chapter 4, Paul's sending him back. Epaphroditus is the first recorded short-term missionary in the Bible. I don't know if he went for six weeks or six months or six years, but he went and served with Paul. Now you say, how do you know he came back? Where do you think we got the letter from? 
Literally, Epaphroditus brought the letter back and he stands up in front of the church and he says, listen what Paul said. I thank my God every time I think about you. They gave, they prayed, they sent. It's been a passion of our fellowship since we started. As a matter of fact, if you've gone through our membership process, you've heard me say this. If you join our church, we're going to do everything we can to talk you into leaving. You know why? Because the measure of success in a church is not our seating capacity. The measure of success in a church is our sending capacity. Are we raising up disciples of Christ that are making disciples and being sent out of the church for the expansion of God's kingdom in people, among peoples and nations all over the world? God's not impressed with how big our churches are in America. God longs to see us leverage that to join in a movement that will result in Revelation chapter 5 around the glorious throne of God. So at Hope Church today, we're giving you this booklet. In this booklet, there are about 30 different opportunities for you to engage in a short-term way. All these are trips that we're taking in the next 12 months, some of them short-term, some of them a little bit mid-term, some of them long-term but opportunities for you to engage. We currently have between 15 and 18 people in our church who put their yes on the table. They're in a process of being raised up and they've said yes and they're going to live in some culture or country on the other side of the world to join in the mission of God. You can get involved and, and put your yes on the table and what this is designed to do is to give you opportunities and here's the deal with every one of these trips, we don't just need goers, we do need goers. We need people who say, hey, I'll go, I'll, I'll get on a plane, I'll go to some other country and culture, and I'll join in what God's doing. You may be like Epaphroditus, I never preached a sermon, but I can go, I can do that. But we also need senders. What are senders? Those are people that don't get on the plane, but they're a part of the team. How? They give financially. They, they, they watch the kids while they're away. They house sit, they take care of the dog, whatever needs to be done so they can go. You take stuff off the table to free them up to go. With every one of these teams, we need goers, we need senders, we need prayers. People who will get involved by praying for the goers and praying for the senders and praying for the field and the opportunities. 30-something trips here, but we literally could mobilize our whole church in going and sending and praying. On the back of this booklet, there's a little QR code. I encourage you, don't do it right now, but do it after the service. Take a picture of that. And it's going to give you, send you to a link where you can either check boxes to come to some events this week where you can hear more information. You can check one of these trips and they'll get you information about that. You can stop by the tables in the lobby and we'll give you information out there. And listen, I, I'm going to be real transparent. I know in the current climate that we live in, there's a question on people's mind when we talk about this. From the political unrest that's in the world today, or the pandemic that we've been fighting now for two years, someone may say, well, pastor, is it really safe for us to be doing this? And as humble as I can say it, let me just say to you, that's the wrong question. And here's what I mean. It's never been safe. It's never been safe to take the message of the gospel to the peoples of the earth. we got a family sitting in our church today that serves the Lord in South Asia, Southeast Asia. 
who years ago laid it on the line and now for a decade have been living in a situation where hostility could happen around them at any moment. It's not safe. It's not safe to take the... We're standing here today on the shoulders of men and women who literally shed their blood so that the gospel could get to us. It's never been safe. Listen, we will be wise. We will follow protocols as best we can. But it is time for the church of Jesus Christ to move beyond the spirit of fear and engage the nations with the gospel. People are dying every day and entering into a Christless eternity with no hope. And we've been given the message of the gospel. We need you to say yes. Their relationship was all in. You read the book. Epaphroditus is coming back. He's, he's actually not well. He got sick while he went. He's come back unwell. It's never been safe. But it's always been right. Their relationship with Paul was a third thing. It was long term. You hear it from the first day until now. The phrase now means continually. It's, a, it's an ongoing. They, they didn't see their involvement with Paul as a project. They saw Paul as a partner. These are not vacations with a purpose we're talking about. We're jumping into long-term strategic relationships around the world, leveraging our influence, our resources, and our yes for the sake of the kingdom being expanded to the ends of the earth. And here's what I love. It's not just true about the church at Philippi. It's true about this church, Hope Church in Las Vegas. You've always understood that God's activity runs on the rails of relationships. You've always been ready and willing. We have literally sent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people out to corners of the world all over the world. Year after year after year. And we've done it relationally. We have teams that have gone and worked with the Hughes family. We have teams that have worked with Chan Simone Syasek and the Mekong Evangelical Mission in Southeast Asia. It's why we talk about families like the Snodgrass family or the Watson family in South Asia or the Mason family in Southeast Asia. It's why we talk about the OM team in Tanzania or the Activate Global team working among some of the most dangerous parts of the world because we see in them we see in this family over here the tip of the spear of God's activity among the peoples of the earth. And we've been invited to get in on it by relating with them. Last thing, and I'm done. This church impacted others through their passion for God's kingdom. They became an example. They became an impact to others. Number one, they impacted Paul's life. We won't read it, but at the end of this letter in chapter 4, you can read it later on. Paul's like, you not only met my need, you give me more than I need. Like, I'm amply supplied. I got more than enough because of you. Paul says, you've changed my life. Same thing happens here in our church. We got missionaries in different parts of the world. I'll give you one story. Mark and Megan. Mark and Megan's a couple we've been partnering with now for about seven years. It's not their real names. We have to use a different name for them publicly because where they serve is in the Arabian Peninsula. It's so dangerous they could literally lose their lives. Their children have been born there. It's the, the home that their kids know. 
obstacle, hostility, difficulty, challenge, persecution is all they've ever known. There was one moment where they had to be extracted out of their country into another country for several years and work back into that country over a period of time because it got so dangerous. Through all the years of serving Christ, it began to take its toll. Listen, these are not superheroes. They don't have capes. They're real human beings like you and me. It began to take a toll on Mark's life emotionally, physically, his diet, his nutrition. All of that began to be compromised, and he began to feel the effects of that. And he tried to go to doctors, and he went to every doctor he could find to get help and get solutions, and nobody could help him. And one day in frustration, he's just talking to God about it, and the Holy Spirit of God prompts his heart. Hey, that partner you work with in Las Vegas, Hope Church, called them. He's like, they're not doctors. Why am I calling these pastors? And he did. He picked up the phone. He called Pastor Thompson right over here. Said, Tom, I don't know why, but for some reason the Holy Spirit of God said to call Hope Church. I got, here's what I'm dealing with. You got any reason why he'd want me to call you? And Tom immediately said, hey, I know somebody. Connected him to a woman in our church who works in that field named Leslie. Leslie began to do Zoom meetups with Mark and his family over the, over the whatever you call that technology. And here's the bottom line. God healed Mark. Restored him through that relationship. And Mark just sent us this text a few days ago. Listen to what he said. He said, praise the Lord for Leslie and for the body of Christ. I am so thankful to see God's love to me through Hope Church and through her. Listen, these stories we tell you, these, these, these partnerships we get involved in, you need to know something. There are people that are around the world today on their face before God, and here's what they're saying. I thank my God every time I think about Hope Church. You're impacting missionaries. Second thing they impacted was the unreached. When Paul left Philippi, he went on to plant churches in Berea, Thessalonica, Corinth, Athens, Rome, and ultimately the gospel reached you and me because of the faithfulness of that church to labor with Paul and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Here's what I love. One day, when we get to that scene in heaven, get this, there are going to be people around the throne from Las Vegas, Portland, Denver, Oakland, Tanzania, Nigeria, Cameroon, Zambia, Puerto Rico, Haiti, Laos, Vietnam, the Netherlands, Greece, Kenya, Egypt, Cuba, Honduras, and, and many others that I could stand here and name. And you're going to say to them, man, tell me your story. And it's going to blow your mind when they say, man, there was this church in Las Vegas that sent these people out. I've never even been there. And God brought me to himself through them. Last thing, they impacted other churches. We won't read it, but in 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing a letter to another church to encourage them to get in on the kingdom activity in chapter 8. And he says, hey, you got to see the example of the churches in Macedonia. Who's that? The leading one was Philippi. He uses the church at Philippi as an example to encourage other churches. Recently, you know this, we've shared it with you over the last several weeks, but recently God's extended to me the opportunity after 21 years of leading this fellowship to change seats here and slide into a different role, a founding pastor that's more focused outside of our church than inside of our church. I got invited by the North American Mission Board to be the president of the SIN Network. It's the largest church planning network in North America. The prayer is that over the next 10 years, we would see between 8 and 10, 12,000 new churches started all over North America. You know why they asked me to do that? Honest truth. 
because of you. You see, your testimony, your faithfulness to the kingdom, your embracing of this. Here's what they said. Man, if you could help us lay the foundation to see thousands of churches like this planted all over North America, we'd turn the world upside down. think you just come to church here and get your pick-me-up for the week. No, here's what I'm telling you. God is alive and at work in this world, and he is using you. Don't you for a dare second ever think it's about us. It ain't about us. We're just one little piece in a really big puzzle that is awesome. here's how we get in on it. We all say yes. To what? I don't know. I said yes, my wife and I in 1999 in a living room in Memphis, Tennessee and didn't even think about Las Vegas. But when God filled in the blank, it was here. I don't know what it means for you. Here's what I can tell you. Hang on. It'll be the greatest ride of your life. We watch movies to get entertained, to go on adventures. Listen, there ain't no adventure like the kingdom of God. Small town kid from Alabama, now been in 40 countries around the world, met with presidents and leaders and kings, preached the gospel in 48 states in America. Listen, I, the kingdom, there ain't nothing like it. pray together. Father, God, I pray today what David prayed in the Psalms, that you'd open our eyes we might receive wonderful things from your word. Lord, today would you call out the called? With your heads bowed, in just a moment we're going to have a time of response. Our team's going to come and lead us in a song of worship. Listen, it's not a time to slip out early. That's not what this is about. It's a time to respond to what God said and Maybe for you today, this is the first time you've ever been church and you're in a church service and you're like, who is this crazy guy and what is he talking about? Listen, let me tell you who I am. I'm a nobody who in 1989 met a somebody named Jesus who changed my life and I have not been able to get over it since. And listen, that same Jesus can change your life. When we stand to sing in just a moment, I'm gonna invite some of our pastors to go ahead and come. They're gonna be here around the front. If God's spoken to you today and you know, hey, I don't understand it all, but I need that Jesus he's talking about. I need my life changed. I need to be forgiven of my sin. You come to one of these pastors and just say, I need Jesus. If you forget that, don't worry about it. Just stand there. They'll know why you've come. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God today. For others of you today, here's the way you need to respond. There's some of you here today that need to come get in this altar and just say, Lord, yes. Lord, yes, 
I'll be a goer. I'll be a sender. I'll be a prayer. Whatever you sense God's just to get in this altar, maybe turn your seat into an altar and just say, Lord, yes. Lord, yes. God, I want in. I want in on what you're doing. I don't want to be a spectator in the stands. I want to be a player on the field. Maybe some of you today have been stirred to the point that you know God is calling you. You can't escape it. Right now, you know the Holy Spirit of God is having a conversation with you that is unlike anything you've ever sensed. God is calling you. And you need to come to one of these pastors today and say, listen, I don't even know what this means, but God's calling me to something different. And we'll begin a process of walking with you on what that could be. And then finally, maybe you just came today and you got a burden, your job, your health, your marriage, and you just need to pray. The altar is open. Our pastors are here. We'd be honored to pray for you and with you. You just come. Maybe you just feel led to get in this altar and pick one of these places in the world and just start praying for them as a starting place for you. As God speaks, you respond, Lord, have your way in this moment. God, don't let us, don't let us ignore this. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.